0: get ready for conflicts when movie reviews collide
1: everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Conflicts, the podcast with me, your host, Laura slash Lulu, because I have two personalities. I'm too much for one. And dad joke extraordinaire himself, Rich. Say hey, Rich. Hey, Rich. He's never going to let me down, folks. He's never going to let me down. I do have a
0: question. So, like, is your middle name Slash, and are you named after the guitar player from (laughs) the Roses?
1: I have the same hair. You're
0: like Lulu slash Laura.
1: Well, you call me Lulu. Nick Mm -hmm. calls me Laura when he's here. My name is actually Laura but most people know me as Lulu or Lou. I don't really know the right answer. I'm just like, I will answer to both of them. So I just put them out into the universe and whatever comes back to me, I take.
0: You you are the second most confusing pronunciation of a name amongst my friend group.
1: It's really not that confusing because it's a whole different name and it's actually a soapbox <laughs> of mine. So my name is Lara spelled L-A-R-A. There's no U. No U, no O, Lara. It's a whole different name. And so I will introduce myself and see if people get it wrong, like over the course of time, not that big of a deal. Here's where I get pissed. When I introduce myself to somebody, walk up. Hi, I'm Laura. Hi, Laura. Nice to meet you. Mm. No, no, you presumptuous ass hat. <laughs> I am not pronouncing my name wrong. You don't know my name. And you think that, you know, my name better than you know me because you've just said it wrong right to my face. When I told you a different way, because it's a different name, please pay attention.
0: See, I, I had that moment because uh, we work together Yeah, and, people always called you laura and at some point in time i discovered that your name was laura and i realized that i had been saying it wrong because everybody else had been saying wrong and i think you were just too polite because it was work i and just did, got over and it and you didn't want to make a big when scene when i was like five i got over it and i'm like well god damn it i wish i'd have known that because you know it does make sense to me because you say it the same way as laura spencer or laura croft or laura croft um but it does because we do have a friend named laura um she is why i started
1: being called lulu at work
0: right because there were too many right but that's the thing like for a long time you were just lulu but i thought your name was laura because i'd heard people call you that and it wasn't until i saw it spelled at one point maybe it was on an email or something that mm-hmm. i i happened to say that up and i'm like wait a minute her name's laura yeah and, and i was like oh well shit i didn't mean to be saying it wrong this whole time <laughs> I just, uh-huh. uh, but it's still not the most confusing one i have Uh, a pair of friends who don't know each other but you know one of them who have the name that is spelled exactly the same way and pronounced completely different what's the name it's chandra and chandra
1: i've never seen a chandra spelled the same way as chandra Mm because i know how chandra spells her name
0: i actually have a chandra and a chandra for friends but one has an o one has an a like the o and chandra yeah um i actually know somebody uh, who pronounced it chandra too Huh. So it, it, which is weird because it's not that common of a name, but apparently I know all of them. Yeah. And they all pronounce it differently, even though they all spelt the same, except for the one who does have the O. So that's the one that's the most confusing to me because the two uh, that pronounce it very differently, it's spelled the same, I'm fairly good friends with, even though they're different friend circles. Uh-huh. So I, I will fuck that one up.
1: <laughs> I remember when my sister was having her kids, like, you know, everybody's got two cents to throw in about names and what names and whatever i'm pretty chill about that but i was adamant whatever names you give them will be easy to pronounce <laughs> and not be easily mistaken because uh, my entire i literally gave up on the battle of trying to get people to pronounce my name right when i was probably like six or seven years old because i was just like it's never gonna happen just acquiesce
0: uh, they just all called me dick <laughs> No, it was great though, because I was named after my grandfather who was always called Dick because used to be, that's what, how you? that's
1: what you call the Richard.
0: So, and I love my grandfather. He was a great man. So didn't when, want to be called Dick though. No, I, I, I just, I loved it. When people would call me Dick, I'd be like, what's up? <laughs> no, I called you Dick. Yeah. Okay. That's my grandfather's name. He's cool. <laughs> yeah. But I said, you're Dick. Like, did you say I'm a Dick or I am Dick? Cause Dick is my name. Um, so I just, I just embraced it because I'm like, that doesn't insult me at all um
1: i can imagine little rich doing that
0: oh yeah i did it well that was when
1: did you transition to rich
0: so it was funny when my wife and i got married for the first couple of years she could tell who was calling on the phone by how, how they referred to me uh-huh so anybody down here uh, in missouri referred to me as rich so anybody who uh was a friend of mine from in illinois called me dick if you were a family member you called me richie and if it was something official it was richard So she, she knew the person where they were from by how they asked for me. So, yeah, I mean, it's all, it's all pretty simple. You know, I do have a, uh, my, one of my favorite stories is our son's name.
1: Uh, do you, you named him from the thing you've told us, uh,
0: from the book. Yeah. Well, he is named after a star Wars character. I say that, but that's actually only half the truth. Okay. So when, uh, we were pregnant, uh, we were like, "Oh, were
1: you pregnant? I was, you were not. Everybody says we. No. It's not okay. She did the work.
0: I was, she did do it. You made a deposit. She did the work. I was, I was there. um, But so when uh, that was happening, we were like, you know, we got to come up with a name, right? So we we threw some names around and we had a bit of a situation where her family was being way obtrusive about being involved in the name. Uh So we finally, we really couldn't come to an agreement. So we came up with this idea that we're going to take a week break. And during that week, we're going to put together a top 10 list. Of the names that we like then we're going to sit down for dinner we're going to break out our top 10 lists and we're going to see what we can come up with there for a name so we did that didn't discuss it for a full week sat down to dinner pulled out our list we both had the same name as number one really absolutely what are the odds it, it, it really was kind of funny and we were because you know i don't want to say we were arguing over it but it was kind of a bit of a. there was some yeah. tension uh, especially when the family got involved and added unnecessary attention um so As then my like,
1: family is known to do
0: so like her and i were both like geared up like we had all of our arguments ready and prepared you know we're ready to to just duke it out over this name thing and then we, you're like name one and then we, like, you know, we flip over our list and we have the same name and we're like well that that was easier that than we made it really took out the but i did choose because it was a character in a star wars novel that i really like she actually chose because it was the name of um uh, what was the movie? It was Ben Affleck's character. He was a lawyer and his name was uh, Gavin. It's,
1: was it uh, was it's it a, a John Grisham movie? No, it's
0: one of the ensemble movies. Um, um, couldn't tell you. Where he had a fairly minor role, uh, but it had like a huge cast. It'll come to me. It wasn't, it, the movie was okay. Um, <laughs> but we had just recently seen that and she noticed the name and really liked it and it stuck in her head. So she ended up putting that down as her number one as well. It was uh, meant to be but i do have a wonderful picture of gavin meeting the author of that novel that's cool so yeah you could tell the story yeah we did it was it was great um
1: well thank you for coming to the name game podcast woo-hoo! it's been fun no i'm kidding um today we are covering season three of west world
0: i feel like i need the little <whistles>
1: <whistles> <whistles> q tumbleweed tumbleweed All right, this was released March 15, ran through May 3rd of 2020 with an eight-episode run starring Evan Rachel Wood, Tandy Newton, Ed Harrison, Jeffrey Wright, um, Tessa Thompson. That pretty much covers the main cast. Uh, In a synopsis, when last we saw Westworld, it was a bloodbath that left an uncertain, potentially dangerous divide between humans and synthetics. What happens when hosts, created in the world of fantasy, Enter the world of reality. Done, done, done. I did my own.
0: That's like giving yourself. A, That's what she said. <laughs> it just doesn't feel right. Oh. It just doesn't feel right.
1: Yeah. Well, I jumped the gun. <laughs> but did you know because i did not know that westworld the series is based on a 1973 movie written and directed by michael Crichton of the same name
0: it's actually the movie was based on his book of that name as well.
1: i assumed when it was michael yeah. Crichton, there was a book mm-hmm. but it was his directorial debut
0: I, I did know that and i've seen the original movie um i mean it has the, obviously the it came conditions. out in
1: 1973 i don't have high hopes
0: mm-hmm. uh i have the book um that does not surprise movie. me. Yeah, I, I went through a Michael Crichton phase. I read a fair amount of I mean,
1: he's good stuff. I mean, he's the he's the the Jurassic Park guy. He created ER. It was a great
0: show. <laughs> he did, actually, yeah. No, he had a fantastic career and he was a, a, a is he pass? Yes. Oh! He, he was a brilliant man.
1: Rest in peace, sir. I missed mm-hmm. when you passed. It's been a while. Well, clearly yeah. not up on things.
0: Um, you know, uh Thirteenth Warrior is one of my favorite of his. Never heard of it. It's a good movie, too. They made an interesting movie. Uh, there's some wonderful history that goes on. Because once again, this guy was an academic. Yeah. He wasn't just a writer. And I don't mean that to, to disparage anybody, but he was primarily an academic. So all of uh, this uh, fiction he approached from that standpoint. It shows. So, so, yeah, he really does. But some of the connections are a little harder to see. And The 13th Warrior is one of those where it's a bit harder to see the connection. But when you, you go into the history behind it, and especially how he got to that, um, it's it's, fun, it's funny to me. That's fun. Oh, oh.
1: I thought it was cool. The logo for the 1973 film is to die for, by the way. <laughs> like if you like vintage, like it's stellar. Um, another random fun fact. The other Hemsworth brother yes, is in this.
0: There is. I like to point that out because yeah, people forget that there he's, are more.
1: I guess the oldest because by looking at him, he looks the oldest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Luke Hemsworth is the security guy, blonde guy who we find this season is a host. Um,
0: we figured out that last season at the end.
1: At the end, that's yep. true. Um, also, German composer, I wrote down his name, but I'm not going to pretend like I know. <laughs> how, it's like Raman Jawadi, I think is how you say it, who created the opening credits uh, score for Westworld, also created the opening credits theme for Game of Thrones, and is part of the impetus for the random cameo from Drogon and the two guys that mm-hmm. wrote Game of Thrones in that episode. And a couple seconds of the Game of Thrones theme plays on like a looped for a second.
0: It does. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of little uh, tiebacks. I think they do it uh, subtly and elegantly enough that it's not a big deal, but you definitely see them in there.
1: Yeah. And then the other thing that I wrote that is my favorite part and is actually the whole reason I started watching the show uh, from season one. Is that a lot of people don't notice but music plays a very important but subtle part in Westworld and I'm talking about modern music because if you listen to what you think is score through most of the Mm -hmm. show they are modern songs rock classics so on and so forth that are hidden throughout that are orchestrated in a way I mean you've got the stones you've got Bowie you've got Bjork you've got the weekend all of those play over it was painted black was right. the one that like really i was like oh my god that's painted black and i love the stones
0: no it's great god, th- throughout and this happened in the earlier season some too there would be these moments where i'm watching it and i just get the little giggle as i recognize uh-huh. the song um but they it really does set the tone in a way that is it's palpable and maybe even more so than and a lot of people will notice but they'd use the music beautifully yeah. To really add something to this already great show
1: yes all right i am dying to know what you gave season three as a grade so i want you to start us off and tell me what you graded season three of westworld
0: season Sorry. three just season three for me i give a b which okay. i will say is a downgrade from yeah, earlier yeah. seasons so season three we're losing something here and i'll get into yes. that but uh I feel like we're losing a little bit here, but I still give it a B. This is still very good.
1: It is. Okay. Interesting because I gave it a C. Okay. A little worse. And again, because I am grading it on the caliber of Westworld season one. Westworld season one is one of the greatest seasons of television ever created. Um, In my humble opinion, Anthony Hopkins performance is on par with his performance as Hannibal Lecter. In that season, it was amazing. Every detail, there were shock-inducing, gasping moments. Everything was perfect in season one. Season two, not as good. Season three, even worse.
0: It's showing some fade.
1: It's lost the magic for me.
0: It hasn't lost it yet for me, but I'm seeing the fade now.
1: I'm just going to... I'm just going to put it out there. So for me, we've transitioned from a Western to a Western sci-fi to a sci-fi to a dystopian future. And it was all too fast. And it has left me with, with whiplash on the genre. Like I came to this for a Western slash sci-fi Western. And now I'm not even sure what I'm watching.
0: See, I feel like this was the natural progression though. I didn't mind that they were coming out of Westworld, um, it was some of the ways that they handled it.
1: Maybe that's a better way of putting it. I'm still invested. I will still watch season four. Season four has been greenlit. Mm-hmm. I'll still watch it, but I will not be as excited about it because it's it's getting old at this point. We have yet another human v. robot plot, and we've seen those. I mean, we if you listen to the pod, you know that we have an episode on Star Trek Picard that's a theme from Star Trek Picard mm-hmm. as well. It's not exactly new. It's, it's getting been explored
0: out there. a lot. And that's happening in the greater science fiction.
1: Yeah. Of and like, let's be a little more original about it or something. And it just, there were too many humans revealed as hosts. It's lost its magic. There's no, like in the, in the first season, those moments where hosts were revealed, mm-hmm. where, I mean, we're literally like, oh my goodness, you had no idea it was coming. And now you're just like, I mean, okay, yeah, I kind of expected it at this point. Okay, that person's a host too. Cool. I mean, whatever. They're infiltrating the world.
0: See, one of the biggest disappointments for me for season three was the reveal that they um, they were all Dolores.
1: Exactly. I was so interested, and I thought it could have been such a cool... Like performance to see these actors who are all really, really skilled Mm -hmm. to bring in the nuance. And they are,
0: by the way. Yeah. The the biggest draw for Westworld has always been phenomenal acting across the board.
1: Hands down. There's
0: been some bit characters that were honestly just freaking amazing.
1: But I will say that this season was the first time that it started to show because there were a few secondary and tertiary characters that performances were not up to caliber with everything else. I would give the example of Francis, the guy that he talks to on the phone, the in-person bits um, the guy from uh, breaking bad his oh, aaron paul aaron paul his <clears throat> friend it's called francis yes, that yes, he yes right. okay on the phone. yes yes his war the buddy kind of thing in-person interactions mm-hmm. where both of those actors are there that actor's fine the bits on the phone no that is not of the caliber of the rest of this show that is a person reading a script i can hear it
0: you know i will say i was pleasantly surprised by aaron paul i did not expect much out of him uh, i am I'm kind of a minority opinion but i did not like breaking bad yeah, I I struggled through two seasons of it because I felt almost obligated to, and I pretty much hated every episode. I, I had a really bad taste in my mouth about Breaking Bad, uh, and I hate to put all that on him because it really wasn't. But at the same time, it was there. So here he is in this show, and I'm just not expecting much. And honestly, I I'm, I have no problem with Aaron Paul's performance in season three.
1: I would agree with that. It was definitely more like secondary, tertiary excuse me secondary tertiary characters that were not as good but it's starting that's when the tapestry starts to unravel for me Mm -hmm. a little bit and the magic disappears it's kind of like seeing behind the curtain to the wizard of oz and you know the magic is not there and it's just i feel like it's the same premise on repeat with this show even down to like how the season ended when because there's a credit scene mm-hmm. and i remember there being a credit scene from the last one so i fast forwarded through on the last episode so right. i didn't miss it and it sets up for a repeat of what we've already seen it's like the terminator at this point of like it's the same right. thing happening over and over again and we're just seeing it through different sets of eyes and that doesn't excite me anymore
0: interestingly enough it felt to me like that tag ending to it was them saying oh shit we had that tag ending last time and we forgot to write that back in so yeah. we got to fix that because they don't address it at all until the tag ending of season three. Um, so I have a bit of a theory of what kind of is wrong with season three. Yeah. So Evan Rachel Wood, I cannot say enough good things about uh, her either. and her performance a in this stounding. entire day, yeah, including season three. She is yeah. amazing. I love her ability to go from, say, the uh, dainty damsel mm-hmm. to the stone cold badass. And everything in between. She has shown it all in an instant. Yeah, at times it's been and it's been great. So I have nothing but the highest marks to say about her. But interestingly enough, my theory is that in season three they focused on her too much. I agree. She has always been the star of the show, and she's always been central to the plot and everything that revolves around it. But it was kind of the iceberg theory where the less is more you got to always see that tip of the iceberg with Mm -hmm. her and they were always revealing a little bit more. The problem is this season went full on Evan Rachel Wood. And I think it was too much. I think that that kind of strayed far enough from the formula that we lost something. I think it needed more people in there giving these amazing performances. And I highlighted her. I think the problem is when you get so much of it, it becomes, it becomes kind of par for the course, as opposed to being mm-hmm. the special. It's kind of like you know eating cake every day. Well, after a while, it is no longer special. Yeah. Um, And I I really can't believe I just correlated Emritha with eating cake. That's probably <laughs> probably somebody's going to be really upset about that in some way whatsoever. So I apologize.
1: But I agree with you, and I feel like a little bit the character of Dolores, how they brought it to an end, wasted the character, like. The ultimate how everything wrapped up with that felt a little bit like a slap in the face to the three seasons of buildup for it.
0: I like the idea that they just always kind of steered into the skid of somebody who's dead's not dead. But now they made this such a big deal. But I'm like, well, I mean, I mean, who knows? Is she really dead? White? Right. And there's 800 ways in which she might not be dead at this point. Well,
1: and is it that her contract is up and they're just trying to negotiate enough money to get her to come back? Or are they going to rebuild her because we've been through every iteration of her? And at this point, I'm just kind of tired of it. Like, give mm-hmm. me something new and original because season one was so fresh and original.
0: I think there's some really good concepts here. I just don't know that they explored enough of everything that went on around them. It really became the Dolores slash Maeve show at a certain point. And I really feel like they should have used a little bit less of that.
1: Yeah, well, and the other thing too, and it, this is a total nitpick, but the character of Maeve, I love Maeve, and I think Tandy Newton's awesome, but like, at what point have we used up the inspiration that Maeve's daughter is her reason before oh my gosh. doing everything? Her daughter doesn't even have a name. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm I, i I'm sick of her talking about her daughter. I'm just going to be honest. Well,
0: she no longer had an identity. It became, you know, she's still just the host. And I felt like there were times that they brought her in just because she is such a cool actress. Mm-hmm. And she played that role so well. They're like, well, we, we definitely got to throw her in there then. Uh, um, you know, but at the same time, then they neglected people like Ed Harris. I didn't like what they did with him. I didn't like him as the man in white.
1: Yeah. And, you know, now they're bringing back the man in black. But, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And...
0: I mean, it almost felt to me like they realized they screwed up there and said, like, oh, we'll just fix it in the ending.
1: I See, I took it in the season two one that that was his brand of crazy and that he was just seeing himself like he sees his daughter in season three. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I was just I know I was disappointed after season two. I am more disappointed after season three. And I was hoping that that was not going to be the case.
0: And you know, I I feel like we're you know getting a little bit down on this, but I I, you know we still gave a pretty decent ratings here.
1: Oh, absolutely! This is worth the watch. If you just watch season one, you're welcome for the recommendation. But you should definitely watch it all. If this is a regular show like this is CBS Thursday night TV, this is an A plus, hands down.
0: Absolutely, and you know, there's some great. I love the the way they're able to tell stories now and Westworld was one of those places that they really broke some ground on
1: that. They fully sussed out that world. Like it is so actually that's a perfect tie into the good, the bad and the ugly, because that's the thing that I have as the good is the world building and the way that, Even though I said like we have like an almost whiplash transition between, you know, we're in the Wild West and then in season two, we're all over the place and we're in, you know, feudal Japan and everything in between. And now we're in this modern pseudo utopia. I bought it the whole modern pseudo utopia from the the way the phones worked to the the air taxis to the Mm -hmm. regular ride sharing, whatever driverless vehicles and the way that they made L.A. look they did such a good job of just with visual cues only oh, building that world i bought it hands down
0: yeah somebody's gonna make an rpg out of this i guarantee oh, it
1: oh show sure. <laughs> what about you what's it good for you
0: you know i already said it but once again for me it's always dolores yeah she has been the heart and soul of everything about this and I, you know i gotta say it evan rachel wood is been the key to that her her performances have been just absolutely fantastic. You know, she plays every one of the tropes and every one of the anti-tropes very well. And it's all together. So, you know, when you look at this, it's it's just so intriguing to me, especially with the the current culture how and what this says about every one of those.
1: Yeah. For sure, and gosh, she just does it so well. I do, if we're shouting out performances as well, I do want to shout out Jeffrey Wright. Oh, I yeah, I love absolutely. that guy, and I feel like he was a little underutilized in this season, mm-hmm. just like in season one. Like, that guy is
0: gold. He's fantastic, because I felt like everybody but Evan Rachel Wood was underused in season three. Very true. Except for maybe Luke Simsworth. I think this is probably his biggest role. Yeah, that, that he's had. He got to do some pretty good stuff.
1: Yeah, he did. He got more. All right. How about the bad? What's a bad for you?
0: Okay, once again, I've got a really weird hang up.
1: Always a weird nitpick for you.
0: So here's what I don't, I talked to several people about this and nobody caught this. Nobody I've spoken to so far caught this, but this is the part that just like almost infuriates me. The earpiece.
1: Her little cuff thing on her ear.
0: <clears throat> not not how it looks. But what the hell was it? So the entire season... It was a personal valet. She's talking into this thing. But yeah, okay, but this thing can buy her buildings at a moment's notice. Okay? It can hire mercenaries in minutes, and it can track hostiles through doors.
1: And get her a hotel room.
0: And get her a hotel... This thing can do freaking everything. What the hell was that? We have something that can do that, and that doesn't come up, because then he gets it, and it's like, there's three hostiles behind the door. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What the hell is this thing? And why don't other people have them? I just assume she built it. Okay, well, maybe. But I feel like something that significant, something that pushed the plot forward that much and something that existed to that extent. How is this not known? And if something like that did exist in the world, then why weren't these super AIs able to track it and figure something out with it? Mm, That's a good point. You know, the, uh, it just infuriated me that this thing just did everything. It seemed like it opened every door. I need you to pick a lock. And it picks a lock. I'm like, whoa, 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 what, what, what is this? How does this exist? I kept thinking that that's going to be the reveal at some point. That whatever it is she's got helping guide her. Maybe is, they're saving is, that one for season four. Going to, no, actually, here's what I thought. Here was my theory early on was that this was Ed Harris all along. Like That, that he her... was helping her.
1: Oh, oh.
0: That he had some sort of thing on his end that he's he's helping her. That's what I thought was going to be the big reveal there. Yeah. And that he was using his resources secretly behind. And then it turns out that that's not the case at all. No. And we, we never get to find out what this damned earpiece is that apparently can solve every problem. Without that earpiece, they all die. Very true. They do die. And yet, here we are. So I don't understand why that didn't get brought up at all. The whole time I'm like, woo! I need to know what this is.
1: Maybe it's something for the ultra-rich and she bought it. I don't know.
0: Well, fine, but then why didn't any of the other ultra-rich have that? When they're abducting people, why did none of these other ultra-rich they're dealing with be like, there are three hostiles coming in? <laughs> <I> mean, <coughs> hey, we got hostiles. We're not supposed to care about them. Well, Okay, but they're ultra-rich. They should have one, too.
1: Uh, for me, it was a much more ambiguous topic in that this season was kind of disjointed slash stilted it's like you've mentioned before it was a lot of dolores centric there was so much of her and then it's like we'll forget about a character for a while like here's a whole episode where there's no Maeve, or there's no aaron paul or what have you and then it picks back up but then dolores is still there and it's very disjointed and i didn't feel like people's character arcs moved at a at a congruous pace mm-hmm. it was like Dolores's is, is moving at a steady pace forward the whole time, and then here's an episode where somebody's sprinting forward in their storyline, and then somebody else in this episode runs forward in their storyline, and then eventually they all catch up together. But even in the way they all caught up, the uh, the Tessa Thompson storyline was super disjointed oh, for the yeah. whole finale, and then she's not there till that you know post credit scene, and you're just kind of like, wait, what? And it got real Terminator for me, and it was very disjointed. And that was the bad for me. What about an ugly? <sighs>
0: um, you know, I'm, I'm going to still say the the way they handled the Ed Harris storyline. Yeah. I, I Yeah. His,
1: his group therapy session with, with versions of
0: himself. You know, that was actually probably the one moment that I did enjoy. I didn't mind that they did that. But just the way they handled him in general, I think he should have been. He was more, very underutilized. Yeah, he should have been much more central to what was going on here. Uh, he's always been, he's always been one of the key players and one of the key cogs. And now it's almost like they disrespected how important he was by trying to say that now he's suddenly not important. Yeah. I'm like, oh, well. But
1: um... it does make it look like he's going to be very important in season four. However, we were left with a post-credit scene on season two that left it looking like he was going to be very important in season three. Mm-hmm. And that was not the case.
0: Like I said, I thought that maybe what we're going to to see, I'd love for them to have had a host version of him. To tie into that tag ending of season two and we know he's a host version or we find out he's a host version and then turn around to find out at the end that the real one is actually still out there. Yeah. See, so I would have loved to have been like there's uh, you know, instead of them having Maeve, or maybe they have Maeve and Ed Harris, or you know, the man in black mm-hmm. as the you know, the the Sirac has brought both of them to help help him, and then at the end you find out that it's actually been the real Ed Harris has been helping Dolores all along that he Has basically gone over to their side.
1: Yeah. I just really ultimately. I just wish I was more excited for season four. Than I am now. Because I was really excited for season three. Thinking that it was going to. It was going to be the resurrection for me. It was going to bring it back. And it did not. And I'm just. I'll watch it but I'm not as stoked as I should be.
0: Yeah. The, when the pattern is turning downward, it's hard to uh, maintain that level of interest and excitement. It's very true. So Hopefully they, uh, as much as I hate to say this, hopefully they end it before they, they fall too far off the map.
1: I have faith, but I hope that faith is not misplaced,
0: but I'm worried that they're falling in the chat because this is a big overall theory of mine. I like stories where from the beginning, they know where they're going to end. Uh huh. I like stories where they have a specific one in mind and they're going to tell it, and it is X number of seasons. And I'm worried that they're falling into the trap of they're just writing the next season as they get a chance to do it. Yeah. And they didn't have that story from beginning. And I, I I think that's never going to be as good as when the story is already there.
1: One hundred percent agree. I totally think that they. I think that it's a potential that they don't have an end goal in mind Mm -hmm. and that the story suffers. And I think you may be right on that. I think
0: think it's showing there.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm going to dive into the female factor on this. I'm going to keep it brief and just say that this show is how it should be done. The majority of the lead cast is women or was women because we're not really sure who's coming back. All (laughs) that stuff. (laughs) Has been. Yeah. The majority there being women of color. Big deal. Evan Rachel a, Wood, only white lady. It's very
0: diverse. Pretty much everybody is represented.
1: Well, and you know, beyond females, we have Asian people represented, Asian people from Asia represented, mm-hmm. not just Asian Americans. We have, there's a whole lot of African American people there have been, Hispanic people, and because of the nature of the storytelling, no one, I won't say no one, but the majority of these characters don't fall into a single stereotype. And they're allowed to be even the random guy that kind of showed up in a SWAT mask who was the Mexican bandito in Westworld. Like he still got to go from the ultimate stereotype of the sombrero wearing, you know, hip shooting guy to now he's on the SWAT team.
0: Which, by the way, she's a that's a Dolores. Yeah, there is still at least one other Dolores out there.
1: Who knows? But um, so much representation for everybody and there are dozens of women throughout the credits as well there's writers and producers and directors and co-producers and et cetera and et cetera. and that is a beautiful thing and the fact that this is such an amazing show just makes that all the better this is a unique original compelling story with mass appeal across gender lines it's proof positive that we are able to move on from Shows starring women are shows for women. I would posit that the majority of the people that watch this show are either split across gender lines or might lead more towards male. And it is still a show that is led by women because that's been the consensus of the past is that things led by women will only be watched by women. And I think this is proof that we're I agree. And I think this is proof that society is ready to move on from that. From, you know, gender, orientation, race, all of that. We all want to be seen on screen, and it seems like the world may finally be ready for that.
0: I find it fun how they um, would have different settings, and then obviously the same cast playing different characters in different settings. Mm-hmm. You know, in this season, we obviously get those those very German World War II settings. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we get that feel, and you're seeing the same people put into those, uh, you know, what's the... What's Maeve's boyfriend's name? You Hector. Know, where, Hector, thank you. Where he's very much also that Mexican bandito kind of thing. Yeah. And then suddenly he's Italian. Yeah. You know, uh, which is great. Don't get me wrong. It's fantastic. I just think it goes to show that, you know, the diversity is great. Let let them be what they are. And if the story
1: <laughs> is strong enough to speak for mm-hmm. itself, then the rest doesn't matter.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I the, the, the character of Maeve to me, I could care less that she is a black female. Well, and it is.
1: In the world, that's what's so beautiful about Westworld in general is that it can be so diverse and it can be such a colorblind world because from the beginning, you know, the the likelihood of a black family being out on the prairies is less likely. And then that, you know, a black woman is going to be a madam in the town, not going to happen at all. And then that a black woman is going to be a spy in World War Two in those circumstances, Mm -hmm. not going to happen. But in this world, it's okay and right. the colorblind doesn't feel like it's cheapening of anything
0: yeah, no i mean they make that because interesting enough she was the madam because they knew they were going to be clientele that would want that right <laughs> so it gets really interesting when you start to to think about the connotations of all of that but from a uh standpoint of uh, artistic expression it is definitely great to see that level of diversity that is just that seamless
1: yeah for sure. And I mean, this is coming from two white people. And so like, if we're appreciating this, I cannot imagine what someone who that has been part of their life experience must feel like to and, see themselves represented on screen.
0: And we like, seriously, we're really white.
1: Like freckles and all.
0: Yeah, like white, white.
1: Ooh. I'm hasty. Mm-hmm. You can get a tan. I just <laughs> freckle. Um, Hey, speaking of things with strong, badass females, um, I'm just going to dive right into my recommendation this week in the rec room. Killing Eve is back. That is right, bitches, Killing Eve is back.
0: (laughs) Wow, you were really excited.
1: Oh my God, it's such a good show. Okay, so it's on uh, BBC America and I have not watched any of the new season because I am recording it all to uh, binge it in one sitting because it is that good of a show because I didn't know it existed until over the winter we had one random snowy day and I ended up binge watching two, count them, two seasons of Killing Eve in one day. It is that good Oh my god, go watch it now.
0: Really? Uh this is actually something I'm not aware of. So I may have to uh oh, have to check that out. Dude,
1: Sandra <laughs> O and uh Jody Comer. Um, Jody Comer is somebody I had never heard of outside of Killing. So I'm not
0: familiar with that name.
1: And if you look at her face, you probably won't recognize her. A, she is gorgeous.
0: Gorgeous.
1: B, she is like Evan Rachel Wood level talented. Really? In the it's a it's a whole spy drama, and it involves you know the British government and so on and so forth. And her performances are awe-inspiring because she's supposed to be you know uh, Russian, and then she has different accents and she drops into different characters. And the actress herself is British, and it's it's amazing. And I cannot say enough. And it's it's complex, and it deals with the personal ramifications of things beyond just work and there's spy drama and it's uh, oh my god it's such a good show
0: <laughs> did you know that she played ray's mother in rise yes. of skywalker i did not i just i just learned that a moment ago when i yeah. read it on the screen in front of me
1: yeah she was uh she was in the the star wars is ray's mother
0: for a moment which is an interesting well, tie-in because my recommendation is Star Wars related.
1: Oh, do tell, do tell. Mm-hmm.
0: So if you have not seen it yet, now unfortunately this is a Disney Plus thing, so if you don't have Disney Plus, well then <clears throat> then you're missing out. But you need to watch the Disney Gallery for The Mandalorian.
1: What is the Disney Gallery for The Mandalorian? I have Disney Plus, didn't know this was a thing.
0: Yes, yeah, so you go on there, so the Disney, they do the gallery for different shows, but it's kind of like the behind the scenes almost kind of thing. Um, is I this just a gallery of images? No, 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 no um so typically like in the mandalorian one and i've only ever watched two of these galleries so i i I don't know where i was going with well this one they do there's more of a round table with the people that are involved in it but then they do show you some like behind the scenes stuff and kind of intermix like storyboards and stuff um i mean there's some footage and you see them filming things and um so this one really focuses on uh, the the creative team because uh, well, they did something a little different with this and apparently this is all of idea Where he got a team of directors involved from the beginning and while they may have had individual episodes They came up with all of it together. So they were involved in the process from beginning. Oh, to end.
1: that's why it's so good
0: and it's it's so fun to watch him talk about You know why he decided to do that and the people that he picked uh, to go in because I don't know if you know As the directors are it, this is an all-star group. of yeah of directors and it's amazing but there's even one other thing that this will prove to anybody i believe and and maybe i realize i have an X right here but i believe this will prove a point of mine more than anything i could ever say or do for the future there is one man and one man only who deserves the keys to the star wars kingdom and his name is dave filoni If you watch this and do not coming away thinking that he deserves to steer the future of Star Wars Then I just don't know what is wrong with you. This man is everything He is the Padawan who became a Jedi Knight who is now ready to be the master. Oh and watching him speak and this is what will give the. Day. There is a moment that are, that was like amazing for me because uh, Bryce Dallas Howard is one mm-hmm. of these directors who I mean there is nobody more firmly entrenched in Hollywood <laughs> than what she right. is. Right. I mean this is literally a, the you daughter know daughter of our, Ron Howard. We are one of our first second generations and she tells the story about being at a meeting uh, with Lucas and her dad and Kazan where she's falling asleep as a child while her dad's holding her around this uh, you know table while they're discussing Empire. You know, so like she, she's firmly entrenched here, but there's a point where she's talking about, uh, you know, that she has her little segment and she is, uh, saying that her favorite thing about Dave Filoni is that he's one of the few people she's ever worked with who has no ego. He is only about star Wars. All he cares about oh, is telling a good that star right Wars there story. is
1: very telling.
0: So to have somebody like her make such an easy statement like that, to, speaks volumes to me as to who this guy is and one of the other things that I, I really appreciated, uh, And I hope you do too is it's kind of a roundtable discussion now you got uh, Two dudes who are in charge for and Filoni, mm-hmm. but you do have uh, you know, two very talented female directors who are at the table and As they're going around discussing I think this is the perfect example of how you handle that situation because there were a million opportunities for these guys to interrupt And they never once do.
1: And did they ever try to mansplain Star Wars to the ladies?
0: Nothing. Okay. There is a moment where Filoni kind of gives a a little bit of a speech, I guess you could say, about his interpretation of something. And at the end of it, Bryce, she's she's actually the one. She's like, oh, my gosh, that is so incredibly deep. And I want to cry. That's so amazing. Um, but uh, he, he wasn't mansplaining anything, so to speak. He was explaining why he thought certain scenes from movies were so important to the Star Wars universe, uh, as, as a, as a greater story and why they so much owes back to these scenes that he doesn't think people give enough credit. And he kind of explains that. I'm
1: totally going to have to check this out.
0: Um, but when he's done there, like even the other directors, they're all sending him an awe. They're like, holy shit. real That, whoa, whoa, that like makes perfect sense. Um. But nobody ever ever really interrupts anybody. They all just kind of sit there. and you can see like they're all giving the the smile and the nods and they're all Interested in what the other person has to say and the the conversation is by no means dominated by the two people in charge As a matter of fact, I think it kind of shows How they operated as much as they were like no we want We have talented people here. We want them to do their talented thing.
1: I love that. I'm sure so, to totally have to check that out
0: So watch the Mandalorian gallery. There's two episodes I think there's actually going to be a third um, which isn't out yet, last I knew. But you need to watch this. And like I said, give give Filoni the keys of the kingdom right now. I love the way that he even said, because, you know, this guy comes from the, the cartoons. He mm-hmm. was, uh, you know, Star Wars Rebels and Star Wars Clone Wars was pretty much firmly his, which, by the way, these are pretty revered as being great. And I've actually seen them in are <laughs> They're actually really good. So this is the guy. But he he says, you know, I came from this. I didn't know how to do live action. He, so he looked over at John Favreau. He's like, that, that's, that's why he's here. I had to lean on him to be able to translate these stories and to be able to get them on film because I come from, I I draw cartoons. He's like, I draw pictures and (laughs) you know, that's uh, but to me it, it shows who he is that he could care less that I'm in charge.
1: I love that. That's so great.
0: This is the guy who's the expert for that. That's the guy who's the expert for that. And that's the guy who's the expert for that. So we're going to, I'm going to let them be experts, but my expertise is understanding star Wars. So we're going to use that to make sure that the story is, is something that fits.
1: And see, I am firmly of the opinion that despite some very expensive and widely known missteps of the star Wars universe with the Mandalorian, they have finally figured it out. If Mm -hmm. I am proven wrong with this, (laughs) I have lost all faith in Lucasfilm, (laughs) all faith, but better late than never.
0: So interestingly enough, there is one person in some of these interviews who interrupts people almost constantly. Who? Kathleen Kennedy. Oh. She's not there for most of it, but there's there's a couple of them where they, they have brought her into the table and nobody can get a word in edgewise. Lovely. In, and
1: I want to be all like, yeah, lady, woohoo, but I'm not a fan.
0: So here, I, I will say something because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty harsh on some of the things that happened here, but let me, I, let me give her, I'll give her an out. Here's what I think happens with her. I think she is great at production. I think her expertise is understanding and pushing forward production, which I think is why she did pretty well with Lucas, because Lucas I could see as a guy who maybe needs a little shove every time, you know, he gets hung up on the certain things. He's the storyteller. He's the guy that's really into the technology. And sometimes that can hamper a production if you get kind of bogged down. So I think she's probably the person that kept the productions on track. So that these things could actually get done and get out the door, which there needs to be something for that. But then you take that person, and you put them in charge. It's the Peter principle. You promote them to their level of incompetence. I think you put her in charge of the greater story as a whole. And I think she fails miserably, which is what I think happened. So it doesn't necessarily disparage that she doesn't have talent. I think that it shows that the person who has the talent in other areas got put in an area mm-hmm. where they, they don't excel. I can see that. To me, that's why I think it needs to be Dave Filoni, because he is the guy that knows he doesn't excel at some of the other aspects of it. But what he does is he gets it on a level that so many of these other people don't. So that's why he needs to be the one that guides the stories and puts these teams together of people who know how to make them come to life on the screen. Which I'm is what they did. For it. with, it's what they did with the Mandalorian. And it and, worked
1: so well.
0: And if that's not proof positive that it works, it's also interesting this idea of letting all these directors have their voices, but as a team. Yes. Yes. It really was interesting to see how that unfolded and how they all represented each other. the, the way they kind of gush on each other is well, kind of fun. If
1: everybody had been out for themselves and was like, "My episode's going to be the best," and I don't care mm-hmm. about the rest of these episodes, it would have showed.
0: It would have. So I, I think that you look at that dynamic and it, it's it's pretty cool.
1: That's awesome.
0: It really is. So definitely watch that if you've got Disney. Plus. Um,
1: so check out Star Wars Gallery on The Mandalorian, then check out Killing Eve, then come back and listen to us. There you go. You're planned. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.
0: Maybe in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs>